You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 51 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, January 14th, 2015. I'm Victor Marks, and joining me are Neil Hughes. Hey guys, how's it going? And Shane Cole. What's up? So, Shane, you were telling me before we started recording that Apple Music has 10 million paid subscribers in six months. That's the report. What should we know about that? The interesting thing is that there are 10 million people willing to pay for music, I suppose. Uh, I guess secondarily, though, it's that they did it much faster than Spotify did. And I don't know if that's because Apple is much better at selling this kind of stuff or if it's because the market is shifting and people are okay with subscribing to music for $10 a month. But they did it and they did it really quickly. So it took six years for Spotify to reach that. Is, is part of that just the fact that when Spotify started, it was a totally different world? I mean, I guess part of it could be that. That's what I'm saying. We, there's no really way to know why it went so fast. You know, it could be that the world is, is just changing and people don't want to buy, except for Neil, people don't want to buy their music anymore. Um, <laughs> it, it could be that Apple just has a much bigger soapbox to stand on and shout at people. Um, I, Spotify didn't have, you know, Pharrell hosting a show on its subsidized internet radio station. Do you think that the free tier hurts uh, Spotify for people like me that I only run Spotify on my desktop and I use it to sample an album in its entirety before I buy it, but I will never pay for Spotify. I just listen to the ads. Well, back in the day, I, I want to say there was a bigger gulf between the free tier and yeah, there was because there's a limited amount of time to listen to the free tier, right? Right. Um, when Spotify first started, you can only listen for so many hours a month, which like Pandora used to be. Um, so I, back then, it you, you might be right. The change to unlimited free, unlimited free ad supported streaming may have been something that dragged their subscriber numbers down. But I mean, they've kept growing. Um, so yeah, I, I just wonder if that's holding them back, um, especially when you look at the approach that Apple took, which is uh, to say. Instead, you only get three months, and then you got to pay. Yeah. Well, there's there's also the question of what do the audience demos look like, right? Because when you have right. people like Taylor Swift that aren't on Spotify, um, and if the audience demo is super mainstream and poppy, then they're going to go where Taylor Swift is, regardless. I think of the cash because they would have they're either going to go to YouTube and stream it, or they would have bought her album on iTunes or whatever if they couldn't stream it from Spotify. Yeah, but to to go back to your earlier question, Victor, I, I think it's just the demographics of the market have changed. It took Spotify a while just because people were more accustomed to buying music. And now that these subscription services are catching on and people realize they can actually, you know, save money doing it this way or just have it be more convenient. I think that's a that's a reason why Apple did it so quick and Spotify took longer. And let's not forget that Spotify for many years was not available in the United States. So I mean, yeah, and that's got to be the biggest have music market subscription in order to keep it going. Right. And that's got to be the biggest music market on the planet. So. But they're, you know, they're, they're facing competition, not from just people like Spotify or organizations like Spotify. They're also facing it from YouTube streaming, like, uh, like you said, Shane. And YouTube launched an app recently, uh, like last week, specifically for streaming YouTube music. I mean, even without that, YouTube is for the last few years has been the biggest music streaming platform ever. Um, I mean, I can't, it's tell arguably you. the worst way to listen to music, but Oh yeah, it's, it's horrendous. I, but I can't tell you the number oh, the of God awful. Like until 
um, Spotify services like Spotify gained critical mass. I cannot tell you the number of parties I went to where people would just bring up like a 30 minute YouTube mix of music. I mean, like <laughs> in there's my favorite bar in Tokyo. Um, they have like big TVs to play music videos. And I, I kid you not, they're just on YouTube playlists. How does that work? Because I, I go on YouTube a lot and find, you know, if I'm looking to send a song to somebody or something like that, YouTube's the easiest way to share it. So yeah, obviously they're on there. There's a ton of music on there, but I have had so many videos taken down with DMCA copyright nonsense because they say I'm not fairly using a song. And I've actually tried to go through the process of fighting this and, and saying that what I'm doing constitutes fair use. And I've lost every single time because I'm just fighting robots. I'm not actually talking to human beings. You know, it's just some algorithm that says, no, you're wrong. Did they send you to copyright school yet? Yes. So <laughs> what, what happened was uh, there was one where uh, um, I it was a, a video that I recorded at my grandmother's 90th birthday party. And for a segment of the video, I had a music overlay with Sam Cooke song playing. It was only part of the video. And most of the video didn't have the song in it. And uh, most of the video is actually just people talking and stuff like that. Um, and there's, I mean, no no person in their right mind ever would have come to my video to not pay for this Sam Cooke song. If anything, this video would help sell copies of the song because people would hear that part of it and go, oh, I want to buy it. But anyhow, I got a, a Universal Music Group copyright takedown, and they alleged that I had used the wrong song in the video. Their, their algorithm said that I was using a completely different Sam Cooke song. So I appealed to YouTube and I said, this copyright takedown is wrong because A, they're not even claiming the right song in their complaint against me. And B, it's fair use. There's no ads on this video. I'm not profiting from it in any way. And the purpose of the video is not the song. The song just supplements the video. This is this falls under fair use. You are not eating sales that would have otherwise gone to Universal Music Group. Right. And if anything, Universal Music Group should be thankful that you know something like this exists because it presents their content in a new way that people might actually go out and buy it. That's right. If you say there. thankful, these are the same people that sued their customers into the ground in the 90s and 2000s because, well... They have no sense. Right. But isn't so this, anyhow, what I'm go ahead. I was gonna say, isn't this the reason they did that little automatic uh buy link thing that they do yes. on I don't how does that it's, work, by the way? Because that's what that's what I'm wondering. Works, sometimes it doesn't. That's what I'm wondering. How is it that I can go search for a song and the first result is YouTube and I can share it with a friend and that doesn't get taken down? There's no copyright issue, nothing. And it's just a song with like a the album art as the video. And that's what's on YouTube. And that stays up there with no copyright takedown, no issue whatsoever. I put hours into creating and editing a video and mix a song over it. And that gets taken down. One is an original creation. The other one is just repurposing someone's stuff so that you don't have to pay for it on iTunes. I don't understand how this copyright nonsense works. Why is it that I'm getting a takedown notice and all these other videos aren't? Yeah, I, I, I think that, that's, that's literally, that's what I thought that automatic buy link thing was supposed to solve. It was supposed to be, you can now use any of the music from the right. companies the labels we have licenses with, but you're, my, we're going to put a little thing in the underneath the video and we're going to make the money from it. My guess is the uh, content owner, the, the label needs to opt in. Um, I've had the most issues with universal music group. I actually, yeah, but, but the with, labels are garbage themselves because the labels go ahead and, and sometimes upload files and then DMCA their own files. Right. Yeah. They, well, again, because it's all robots doing this, this is all, an algorithm. It's yeah, not, there's, no, there's no human, there's no human being involved in this because if a human being looked at my video that I made and shared with my family, 
then they would go, oh, well, this is clearly fair use, and they would just leave it. But I'm just arguing with algorithms that are just sitting back and going, no, take it down. And YouTube is nothing to to protect their users. So I actually got so ticked off about this that I paid for a Vimeo account and started uploading my content there because Vimeo tends to be more lax on their uh, copyright uh, control stuff. And then what was funny was I made it uh, last year, I went skiing and I made a video and I used a song by a, a Brooklyn based band called the dig. And apparently that song was featured in an episode of the show suits. And again, this is universal music group that did this. And so I actually got my video taken down because of a copyright complaint by the USA network saying that I used a clip from their show suits but I didn't. I actually used a clip from a band from their song that was featured in the show Suits. But their algorithm just takes all the audio of that show and then matches it up against whatever's on Vimeo and then goes, oh, well, clearly you ripped something from our show. So again, it was a completely incorrect and unfair takedown notice sent to me and they removed my video and I couldn't get it back up. It's insane. Yeah, the fingerprinting doesn't work super well. I mean, I think they know that too because they've there's been many, 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 many iterations of it, and it still sucks. But they don't care either, right? It's erring on the side that they care about. Yeah, they're doing and doing their due diligence as per their agreements not to get sued by the entirety of Hollywood. And I, and I understand why YouTube and why Vimeo aren't going to back little old me because they, you know, I'm just some guy uploading videos and it's easier for them to just tick me off rather than get sued by Universal Music Group. But there's no, there's no human element in any of this. It's all done by algorithm. And it, the, like you're saying, the fingerprinting is just abysmal. And when I'm getting repeated takedown notices for content that isn't even what I'm using, it just shows you how broken the system is. Right. I want to talk about something different. I want to move on to our next story, which is about the betas. Neil, you had installed the betas. Tell me about them. I'm living on the edge. <clears throat> um, yeah, I have uh, I have all the new beta releases installed. Uh, well, actually, I haven't installed on my Mac yet, but there's not really any new features in... Uh, you don't know uh, that. You haven't installed it yet. That's true, but nobody's really reported on that stuff. But So anyhow, Apple on... Was it Monday or Tuesday? Dropped kind of a bombshell just... Uh, a bunch of releases with uh, with a handful of new features that were unexpected. So biggest among them for those listening would be iOS 9.3 developer beta one, um, which is now available for testing for developers uh, and it will be available to the public some point in the future. So the big features in 9.3 are a new mode called night shift, which uh, is like that app flux. That's very popular. Um, it's not like which, that app flux. It is okay. that app flux. Yes, it is that app flux. And what so it does, what's the feature do? At night uh, you or manually, the uh, you can have the color tone on your iPhone or iPad change to like a bluish, or I'm sorry, less of a bluish to a warmer color because uh, studies have shown that uh, those blue lights that come from an LCD naturally uh, will keep you up basically. So if you're one of those, they introduce eye fatigue, they keep you awake longer. Right. So if you're one of those people that's checking your phone before you go to bed, in theory, um, this might help you sleep at night or something like that. I, I, don't know I think it's, it's actually works. people who use it truthfully. So flux is my jam. I love flux. Um, I can notice a distinct difference in my, the, I don't know how to describe it. The goodness, the quality of my sleep, when I read before bed on my iPad versus when I read a book, like a, a you know, like the thing you make from a tree, 
Are you sure that's not a placebo effect? I mean, no, I, mean, no, I don't consciously go in and the, think about the it. The light screws it's, you if up. I, if I it look messes back, with your serotonin levels. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, not serotonin. Melatonin. Because melatonin is only mm-hmm. produced in the dark, right? So if, if I if I have like had a, a bout of... Uh, I often... Okay, let me start this from the beginning because I sound like a moron. <laughs> if I have like... I'm leaving uh, that a in, stretch, a, That's fine. I ha- If I have like a stretch of sleeplessness or bad sleep, which happens to me every other month, maybe I'll go a week or so and I just won't be able to sleep very well. Um, if I look back and connect the dots, I can almost always trace it to a point where I didn't have a regular book. I was using my iPad because I always read before bed. Um, or if I was working late and uh, for some reason I was doing something color critical, so I had to turn flux off. Um, it always starts with that. Sounds like a bunch of. No, this is real, Neil. No. Literally, yeah, I, I mean, I, the the entirety of Silicon Valley believes in this. There yeah. are medical studies that talk about light disrupting sleep, and, it, and it's whether it's TV time or iPad time or computer time. What's interesting is Flux actually. Um, I don't know if it's been granted, but they've at least applied for a patent for their whatever their algorithm is that they use to slowly shift the uh, the color temperature. And I think at least one company has licensed it already. So I'm curious if Apple licensed it or they just did what they normally do and made it and said, we'll you know, deal with you. Come at us. Yeah. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Yeah. So, so uh, 9.3's other big features are focused on the iPad, which uh, another welcome thing that uh, I'm excited about, uh, that iPad-specific development is continuing. Um, and they're, they're actually focused on the classroom. So uh, the big feature really is uh, multi-user support. So if you're a student, um, students in a classroom can share iPads, pass them around, and then log into their account. Apple has some nifty behind-the-scenes stuff going on where everybody's content is already kind of preloaded and pre-installed. So all you got to do is tap a button, enter your passcode, and bam, you're in, and you have your iPad right there. Um, you got to think that this is going to be coming for all users in the future, maybe an iOS 10 feature or something like that. But kind of the inevitable direction that we're going with cloud computing and devices is that you'll be able to sit down on any iPad or share an iPad with somebody in your family um, and access all of your content. So, Well, it also makes sense for enterprise, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So um, exciting, um, and i got to think this is Apple kind of dipping their toes in the water with a smaller market before they introduce it to the masses and obviously lock down the security to a way that uh, it would work with enterprise as well. Um, this is them hitting back at Chromebook, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways. Um, I, I, I think, I think so. it's just them. I think it's just them responding to the market saying the process of deploying iPads and education totally blows. Right, and it, it blows in the enterprise too. I mean, even with all the new stuff they've done recently, it's it's just bad. the fact The fact that you have to have one iPad per kid, uh, first of all, makes it cost prohibitive for a lot of places, and right. second of all, just the act of managing all of these things, each with an individual Apple ID and all this other. I'm sorry, is frankly, again, bull. So, well, this is, they're, just, they're dealing with that. But again, they've addressed some of this stuff with 9.3. So, yeah, uh, exactly. they have managed Apple IDs now. Um, they uh, allow it so that the school manager can make volume purchases of books and apps and stuff like that. There's all kinds of little things coming together on the administrator side. And then for the teacher's side, 
Um, you can see in these new features how Apple is kind of uh, flexing their ecosystem muscles. Uh, so a teacher with an iPad can instantly view how uh, a particular student is doing on an assignment, just kind of go through one by one and see what the students are doing and how far they are on the progress on their own iPad. Um, if you're in a uh, you know a group uh, setting where you might want to take one student's work and show it on the TV, you can the teacher can control that student's iPad and AirPlay without any Wi-Fi to an Apple TV, and then show the work up on the big screen for the rest of the, the classroom to see. So a lot of really cool stuff going on there, and just a great example of Apple uh, taking their ecosystem and really making it something that would be difficult for like a Chromebook to compete with. Did you say AirPlay without Wi-Fi? Correct. Interesting. Yeah, they did you, that. They did that AirPlay over Bluetooth thing, but I thought you still had to be on the same Wi-Fi network. Maybe. No, I don't think you need to be connected to uh, Wi-Fi for it to work. I thought it was the discovery because you couldn't in corporate networks that are segmented. If wherever you, whatever meeting room you were in was on a different. Uh, like if they segmented all the display stuff on a different VLAN, then you couldn't discover it. Um, I thought that was what the Bluetooth discovery was for. Maybe not. Maybe, Maybe it says it. it says on um, it says on the website for this. Uh, teachers can easily project any student's work on a classroom television equipped with Apple TV with AirPlay. No internet connection is necessary, so that would presume no Wi-Fi. No um, internet connection. I think that just means no. Yeah, that have means Wi-Fi no Wi-Fi without internet. Yeah, so you'd have to have some sort of like dumb in classroom internal Wi-Fi network that just isn't simply connected to the outside world. Huh. Well, what was that? that They but you were saying like uh, there was like a Bluetooth. It was they advertised for enterprise. I mean, yeah. So it's it's Bluetooth. It's Bluetooth discovery. Yeah, that might be also ad hoc Wi-Fi, but they don't actually do the AirPlay over Bluetooth because so what happens is they did this for enterprises first. Is in a corporate environment, you often have different virtual networks, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'll have, um, for exa- just as a simplistic example, you'll have conference room stuff on one VLAN and employee stuff on another VLAN and um, administrative stuff on a third VLAN. And when you mm-hmm. do that, the, each virtual network can't see the other. So when you walk in with your laptop that's on the employee VLAN, it can't see the Apple TV that's on the conference VLAN. So the Bluetooth discovery is so that they know they're in the same room and they can find each other without uh, being able to do bonjour over the Wi-Fi network. Mm-hmm. That said, um, they Victor might be right. It might be a Wi-Fi direct thing. I can't find it on the website. I found it. Moment. So Apple's website has a feature called peer-to-peer AirPlay. Uh, iOS device and Apple TV don't have to be on the same Wi-Fi network. To use peer-to-peer AirPlay, uh, you need an iPhone 5 or later, iPad mini or iPad 4th gen or iPod touch 5th gen running iOS 8 or later. You can stream your content to a 3rd gen Apple TV or later. Both devices have to have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth turned on. So you can do it without even being on a shared Wi-Fi network. Yeah, ad so they're probably using better. BLE Discovery and ad hoc Wi-Fi. Just like... Um What's the stupid thing that never works? Airdrop. <laughs> so the one um, caveat in this is you cannot stream iTunes store content if you don't have an internet connection, probably because it needs to verify. Well, because yeah, you no have to get out to the outside network. Right. But other than that, um, any local content can be airplayed uh, to a newer Apple TV, even if you're not on the same Wi-Fi network. It's just using what's called peer-to-peer airplay. Sweet.
Yep. Nice. So a, a lot of cool uh, little stuff in 9.3 there. Um, anything else from 9.3 that I'm forgetting? I think Talk that about was, tvOS a little bit. Yeah. So tvOS got an update, uh, again, beta for developers. And uh, a few small but uh, welcome tweaks made in there. Um, uh, one that Shane in particular was excited about was uh, the ability to connect a Bluetooth keyboard to the new Apple TV. So for oh, all yeah. the text entry woes, if you want to have a keyboard handy, you can now do that with beta 9.2. Hey, it's not just that. How many times have you been, you, the collective you people are listening to this podcast with all 10 of you, have you been (laughs) sitting on the couch with your laptop on your lap, watching something on your Apple TV and uh, the remote is nowhere to be found, right? Like it's buried itself on the couch cushion. You have to go hunting for no, 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 not with Bluetooth keyboards. I use a really badass app called one keyboard, which lets my Mac um, act as a virtual Bluetooth keyboard. So I press... Uh, is that in, in the case, Mac App Store or is that somewhere else? Uh, I don't remember. I don't think it's in the Mac App Store. I think I bought it directly from the developer. Uh, I press Shift-Command-A and it connects, it spins up a virtual Bluetooth keyboard, connects to my Apple TV, and I control uh, it with my laptop. It is, in fact, in the Mac App Store. Well, there you go. You should go buy it and do it like that because it's awesome and it's much faster. Cool. So there's a recommendation for one keyboard and Bluetooth keyboards on TVOS. Anyway, continue about TVOS. So uh, the other big feature added uh, is Apple has added support for folders to TVOS starting with 9.2. So if you're like me and you got an Apple TV and you downloaded a bunch of games to try them out and you don't want them cluttering up your home screen, you can put them all in a folder and nice and neatly organize it. Uh, I'm a big proponent of folders on iOS, and I'm happy to see them on tvOS. And then the last small things were uh, developers can now uh, use the MapKit API. So mapping stuff uh, from Apple Maps will connect with tvOS. And Apple also tweaked the multitasking slash app switcher view. So now it is uh, basically identical to iOS 9. So... Uh, the apps that are open are kind of displayed in a pseudo cover flow uh, way, and they actually rotate from right to left. I've always wanted to folders. Right. I've always wanted folders and an app switcher on my television. <laughs> uh, I should mention um, that uh, the 9.3 update on iPhone and iPad also uh, allows for securing notes with Touch ID. And they've made enhanced personalizations to uh, the news app. And they've kind of streamlined the health app and made it easier to find apps that connect with certain categories. So if you go in there, for example, to the weight section, uh, it'll give a list of apps that you can download that'll help track your weight. Um, And there's support uh, for CarPlay, uh, Apple Music, the For You is now added. So 9.3 is a a pretty cool um, update. 9.2 on the tvOS, not as big, but uh, pretty cool. And then the last big beta um, that came out is WatchOS 2.2. Hang on, before before I move to the watch, I want to mention something about uh, iOS 9.3 on the iPhone. So the secure notes thing, right? Apple says on their website, keep your private information under lock and fingerprint. 
blah, 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 blah. Now you can secure the notes that contain your most personal data, such as financial details, medical info, or website logins with a password or fingerprint. And the image that they use has all of this person's uh, internet usernames and passwords in a document. Now, this is better than using one password for everything. But please, for the love of God, everyone listening, do not store all of your passwords in one text document. Don't do it. Just don't. Okay. Wait, wait. Back up for one second. Why is storing your stuff in notes better than using one password? No, it's not better. It's worse. This, Thank what you. This is, is an it, acknowledgement. It sounded like you'd said it was better for a moment. No, no, no. I'm I saying was... do not do this. This is a dumb idea. What they're saying with this, they're acknowledging that a lot of people do this, right? And yeah. so they may as well do it in a secure manner. But just don't do it. There's eight zillion password apps out there including one password which i think is the best but a lot of people you know a lot of other people uh like LastPass, which i just don't like the cloud locker aspect of LastPass. other than that it's great um there's also keypass uh which is open source with the mac port is keypass x Uh, but anyway yeah if if you can at all help it do not keep all your passwords in a text document because it will eventually get compromised no matter how secure your fingerprint is and then you will lose all of your money to a Nigerian prince. What's What's interesting to me about this is that, so they've gone ahead and they tried to do iCloud password where Safari would suggest passwords and it would know them across the phone and things like that. Right. So is this an admission that that hasn't worked, that that hasn't had uptake? No, it's... It, it's just trying to get people to still doing things the old behavior. ways. So many yeah, exactly. Password, that... password managers in general are a hard sell for people. Yeah, I use, right, uh, but but it's built into iCloud, and they suggest passwords in Safari and offer to remember passwords, and people just aren't saying yes. Right, but that doesn't help sometimes. Like if you have passwords that are entered elsewhere or shared things that you want to, you know, like uh, if if I need to have the last four somebody social or something like that, and I want to uh, save it in a document, you can't do that with one password or anything like that in a way that would make it as seamless. So I actually use an app called Secure Safe that I've been using for years on iPhone that I really like. And it's just a centralized way of saving all of my important numbers and stuff like that. And it uses Touch ID. And, and yeah, I mean, there's, some people probably wouldn't like it because there's a cloud backup element and stuff, but it's worked well for me. I just cool. I just don't like the idea that for with LastPass, is what I said, I don't like the cloud locker, but I just don't like the idea that first, all of my passwords are in someone else's cloud. Right. Um, and secondly, that everyone's passwords are in someone else's cloud. Right. So there's yeah. one, there's one, if they find one point of uh, entry to this thing, then everyone's right. screwed. Well, with, with one password, even if you're saving in someone else's cloud, you're also saving locally. And you're also encrypted yeah. with AAAES, I think it is. For um, like I, so it's, I it's think, not like you're totally vulnerable just because you have your, your vault somewhere else. Like I think by Dropbox, I think my vault by Dropbox, which a lot of people will say, oh, Dropbox is not secure. But the vault itself is encrypted, which is all I Right, you've got a AAAES like, also, file up on Dropbox. That's attention, secure. Attention, all hackers. I also store my personal SSH keys in Dropbox. <laughs> so come at me. I'm, I'm going to get on that right Come at now. me, bro. Um, yeah, they're also encrypted the with a 57. That. I'll even give you it's a 57 character passphrase. So Godspeed. <laughs> yes. Okay. 57, so, really. Anyhow, the last of the uh, beta features. Um, and I should mention as we record this that uh, the public betas are coming out now as well. So if you remember the public beta program, you can get on this stuff for iPhone and iPad 
and Mac, but not your Apple TV and not your Apple Watch because there are no public beta programs for those. But uh, WatchOS 2.2 beta came out and it has a couple of uh, interesting uh, changes. Uh, The biggest one is if you are running a phone with iOS 9.3 and a watch with uh, WatchOS 2.2, the watch app on your iPhone is now capable of connecting to multiple Apple Watches. So um, I thought it was kind of silly at first, like who would buy multiple Apple Watches, but a number of people in our comments said that they would like to buy a second watch and have one as just a take-to-the-gym watch or one as just a uh, sleep tracking watch or something like that. L O L. And then they could, I'm going to have one aluminum for sport, and I'm going to have one steel for the office and, and then one gold one for, I think Jamie diamond is our entire commenting core. So people were saying that, you know, they could see themselves getting a second watch using one at work, something like that. And as I thought about it, I, I thought, well, maybe if I buy like a second gen watch, because my first one's got a few scratches on the screen and stuff. And so it's like, well, you know, if I didn't want to sell it, if. I wanted to keep this and I could make it my, you know, my gym watch or something like that. And then have the other one be my rest of the day watch. Maybe, uh, probably not. <laughs> but uh, I think the big uh, uh, reason for this or one of the bigger reasons is uh, for developers who are going to want to test on new hardware, different types of hardware. Um, you know, if a second gen watch comes out, if Apple does different screen sizes or they just want to test out the current 38 and 42 millimeter screen sizes, this is an easy way for a developer to uh, kind of mess around with all that stuff without having to go through the whole process of unpairing and repairing when they build apps. Would you like to know my theory? Sure. And this is my legitimate theory. Uh, Johnny Ive's wife has both a stainless steel and a gold watch. And she doesn't, I, this I, I actually what I believe, and she doesn't like having to switch her iPhones when she wears different watches. Well, they've actually made it pretty easy to switch the watches. They even have the uh, uh, your current watch face and stuff like that. When you open up the app, it shows you so you can easily pick which one you want to use. Yeah. I, I can't imagine this is going to apply to a lot of people, but that's what I'm saying. Now she has she has to like pair her watch with her phone, <laughs> right. right? If she Unpair, has her gold watch, she has to take her and... gold phone. And if she has her stainless watch, she has to take her white phone or her silver phone. And if she has if she's going to the gym and she has her gym watch, she has to take her space black phone. And she doesn't like that. She doesn't like having three phones because iCloud sucks and doesn't sync her stuff <laughs> properly. So she's True. like, Johnny, please, please help this. And so he called the fashion designer who's in charge of Apple's UX and said, can we do something about this? And he said, yeah, sure. So now we can do multiple watches. So something that mm. something that might be a little more useful uh, for people like myself in watchOS 2.2 is the Maps Glance uh, has been updated. So previously, if you that had the Maps... Better. Uh, so for those of you who don't know the terminology, because all this stuff's kind of new and maybe you don't have an Apple Watch, um, there is a quick access feature on the watch where if you swipe up from the bottom of the screen called glances, and you can customize these and put them in whatever order you like. But they're basically like quick and easy ways to get nuggets of information or access apps uh, very easily. And so like you can have a, there's a quick access music player down there and you just kind of swipe between them. There's <clears throat> a battery reading, um, your, your current heart rate, uh, yeah, heart rate, your current, uh, uh, fitness levels for the activity rings for the day. And so previously, uh, the maps, um, glance was pretty worthless. It would just connect to your phone and pull up a map of your current area and just show you, you are here. And that was about it. And then you could tap on it to do stuff. But 
just showing your current location isn't really useful. It makes more sense on a phone, maybe, but on your watch, not so much. So, and Apple, getting the getting directions to somewhere, by the way, is a total clutch. Right. Yeah. And not only that, because the connection between the phone and the watch is so slow, you would switch to the maps glance and it would just be a blank thing there waiting for it to load the map data. Yeah. So Apple has uh, thankfully addressed this and made it more useful. And I I think it's just a a great example of how it's going to take some time for developers and Apple too to kind of figure out what the best uses for the watch are. So now instead of that stupid uh, just display of the map, uh, now you get uh, a choice of four options for directions too. So the Maps Glance now has directions to home, work, and then a search option. Uh, and then a nearby option. So obviously home and work pretty ex- self-explanatory. If you choose search, um, you can search by dictation. You can see recent uh, searches, um, things yeah. like that. That's and then, sorry, that's that's yeah. how the the search works now on the Apple Watch. Yes, yeah. yes, and it's just a quick link to it. Obviously, but before it was just a pain in the butt to get to it. Um, and then the fourth quick option on glances is nearby, which is an extensive list of categories and then subcategories. And that will give you nearby businesses and their Yelp ratings or whatever star ratings are on there. So, um, yeah, a, a welcome change and will make using maps on your watch a lot easier. So, uh, before I move on from this, I'm going to rant about something else. Last week, I ranted about how crap, how the fact that there's no reminders app on the Apple Watch shows that nobody who owns an Apple Watch uses an Apple Watch. The, or nobody who makes the Apple Watch uses an Apple Watch. When I got my Apple Watch, I was on my way to Macau. I live in Hong Kong, and I was on my way to Macau for the weekend. And I, I'm American, so I really love Dairy Queen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> because that follows naturally and there's no dairy queen in hong kong but there is dairy queen in macau and so whenever i find myself in macau i try to stop dairy queen and get a blizzard because it's like it's the taste of home right you know um Bracer burger and a blizzard and i happened to be in the old part of macau and i had never been to the dairy queen there i didn't know where it was so i tried to get directions on my watch you're, you're essentially a dairy queen tourist is that right uh yeah basically when i go to japan i get krispy kreme so um and there's because you have to use voice to search on the watch from for a maps location it's impossible it doesn't work right and i'm not i don't have dairy queen saved in my contacts or anything so i can't do that why we're on watch OS 2.2. So we're an entire version and then two point releases down the road. This is a device that is absolutely dependent on your iPhone. It cannot function in any meaningful way without it. Why can I look something up in any meaningful way? I said meaningful. Incorrect. Why can't. Okay, whatever. <sighs> Why? <laughs> I know. I know what you're going to say. Why in God's name can I not look something up in Apple Maps on my iPhone and push a button and say send to watch? Uh, can't you do that with handoff? No. Not in any, any manner that I've been able to discover anyway. I thought handoff worked with the watch and... and uh, I know it's with the Mac. I can, yeah, I no, can start not, something on the watch and it hands off to the Mac. Yeah. Not, as, as far as I know, there is no manner in which to do that with the watch. All right, Does we'll that not that. sound like the most obvious feature ever conceived after yeah, a reminders I, I, app? I mean, I think specifically I, for Dairy Queen tourists, yes. Yeah, 
I, I, I thought just that, tr- yeah. tr- trying to. All right, so imagine. I don't look I'm up. Not, I don't. I don't look up map stuff on my watch, so I've never tried. But that's why I, I believe don't use it, that handoff it's should. I believe handoff should work. Uh, it's never worked for me. If it's supposed to work, then it doesn't. But I don't think it's supposed to work. I will give you an but example anyway. of how the Apple Watch works on its own in, in surprising ways. Uh, something that some of our listeners may not know is your watch does not require a data connection to authorize Apple Pay purchases. So yesterday, my wife... Provided it remains on your wrist. Right. Or no, you, well, even, one, even without, even after you've taken it up. No, first of all, no Apple device requires internet access to authorize an Apple Pay purchase. Just FYI. Correct. Right. Correct. But anyhow, uh, yesterday, my, my wife forgot her phone and went to work. And she told me that she found a vending machine that accepted Apple Pay. And uh, she was just excited because she could do it because she forgot her phone. So she went up with her watch, double tapped the side button, and authorized a transaction on the vending machine with Apple Pay. So you do not need your phone to do that. You don't. You will. I mean, all right. I will be fair. Um, I told you this before, but we are like blanketed in Wi-Fi here. And I've managed to get my watch uh, authorized on a couple of the Wi-Fi networks. Oh, nice. So I can go out without it. And um, like when I walk by uh, a hotspot it'll update my iMessages and stuff but for things like maps and stuff that you actually would like to be able to do uh, you can't use it as you know there's no GPS I know you hate that and there won't be GPS until they put an LTE radio in there because GPS locks are too slow so yeah but anyway yeah my point of this rant is to say (laughs) that please Apple stop adding Volkswagen complications and a nightstand mode and do things that are actually useful for the people who would die, would dearly love to use your product. I can't. I agree. I agree. The guy, so Nevin Morgan, who's the, uh, a member of panic, which is a really famous, um, Mac software house. They make, uh, like transmit and unison, which is one of the most popular Usenet clients. Uh, he's also Nevin, worked on some fantastic games. Yes. Uh, what is a uh, campfire or something? Uh, there was black bar, there was gray bar, there was a couple of other ones that he's done. Yeah. Anyway, um, ne- Nevin is Nevin and Panic are uh, legendary figures in the Mac development community, and he was ranting on Twitter the other day about how uh, wearing the Apple Watch is completely useless, but it's made him want to get a mechanical watch again. <laughs> so, I, I really uh, think the the Siri and um, uh, dictation features on the Apple Watch are great. Well, yeah, you dictated to me that whole night that you were packing and unpacking. Yeah, my phone and was on a charger and it was dying and I had hands full of boxes and I was moving around. So I just used my watch. It worked great. So that's true in your house. It, do you have the same experience I do that if you are out in like among, you know, a world that's doing stuff that Siri doesn't hear you very clearly. The mic doesn't work as well. Yeah, it, it definitely does not. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not just the watch either. Even my phone, if I hold, right. like, if I'm walking um, like through the train station and it's not like a New York train station, right? It's quiet. If I'm walking through the train station and like holding my phone up to my mouth, um, Siri won't understand me half the time. It'll only get half my sentence or something. But if I have uh, like headphones in, like a headset with a mic, it gets me almost every time. It's really weird. I've been using Hey Siri a lot with my success lately because um, I finally got the new uh, Philips Hue hub uh, or whatever you want to call it. You've been doing HomeKit lights. I've been doing HomeKit lights and I use a app uh, called Home 
uh, unfortunately inane because you'll never find it on the app store when you search for it. Uh, cost 15 bucks is real steep, but man, it works great. <laughs> and it works great with my watch. It works great with my phone. And one thing that I've uh, learned that I didn't know about Hey Siri before is when you set up Hey Siri and iOS 9 on your 6S, um, it gets used to the sound of your voice and then blocks out other people's voices. So my wife has yes. a success as well. And when I say it, uh, my phone will turn on and hers never turns on and it works great. Yeah, it's a godsend in our house. My it's, Our number one use of Hey Siri is, um, Hey Siri, add tomatoes to their shopping list. Nice. I must say some variation of that five times a day. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this home app is great um, with the hue bulbs. Um, so you can just create custom scenes with names and then those you just speak and it works. So like I have a projector set up here and I have two hue bulbs uh, in front of the wall where I project. And a lot of the time you just want those lights on. But when I want to watch TV, I want to turn those off. So I just say, hey, Siri, watch TV. And just those two bulbs are the only ones that turn off and it's good to go. Right. Now, those scenes that you're setting up aren't aren't scenes within the Hue Home app, although that's no. where you're setting them up. They're HomeKit scenes. No, they're not in the Hue Home app, Hue app at all. I don't even right. mess with the but, Hue app. But they're, they're HomeKit scenes is what they are. And you can do all kinds of cool things with triggers. They're HomeKit well. scenes and I create them through an app called Home. So the app right. Home uh, allows for features that you can't do in the Hue app, specifically creating rooms and scenes and other things that Hue just doesn't do as well or yeah. in ways right. that Right, but I that's, that's talking to Apple's HomeKit setup, Correct. not actually specific to that yeah, app. Yeah, so what you right. have is the app Apple should have shipped exactly. with iOS. Yep. Well, there are a number of these. So what there are is there are apps that are specific to the one device, but there are also apps called aggregator apps where you can control every other HomeKit device also. You know, if you download the Insteon app or you download the iDevices app, you will mm-hmm. be able to access your rooms, your, your right. scenes, yeah. and your triggers for those scenes as well. And be able to control all kinds of devices, even without having an iDevices or Insteon product on your network. Yeah, the home app is is very bare bones in terms of its design, but um, the more you dig into it, the more powerful it is. You just got to kind of learn the quirks of HomeKit. And it's just like Shane said, the app that Apple should have shipped to make it so you could control and set up uh, HomeKit very easily. But right. I know, I know that's, 15 that's bucks Apple's steep, plan. I guess the Apple's done. plan is, is that you they don't want to have to control what is the one true way to control your home. Everyone should make their own app for their device. Which and, is fine. And these but aggregator apps plan. control everyone's. So, yeah, which is, which Neil, totally you, should, you should definitely check out the Insteon one, the iDevices one, and the Elgato Eve app, because all of those are aggregators that control all of these things. You'll find your lights in there and everything. Cool. Yeah. Which is totally fine. But this is exactly the same scenario that happens with HealthKit. And there's a freaking health app, Right. <laughs> This is exactly what they want health kit. By the way, my health kit has been irreversibly screwed since I got a new phone, but that's a story for another day. Um, this is exactly the same thing with health kit and health kit has a health app and it works perfectly well. And there's a reason that they shipped a health app. Why didn't they ship a home app? It's dumb. Well, so in, in Google's world, it works with Nest. The future of works with Nest is that the one true way is that everyone's stuff gets embedded inside the Nest app. And for Apple, it's the reverse decision that it's pick the best app for you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally fine with that, right? I have no problem with that concept at all. My thing is we're going to give you this framework to control all of your devices, but we're not going to give you a way to interact with the framework. We, our our right, product's product success that. and usefulness is going to be entirely dependent on someone else. Yes. 
right? Which is dumb. There you have it. But that's that's the way forward for this stuff so far. Uh, we keep dumb hearing way. small rumors about there being a HomeKit app, but I, I think one of the nice things about the way it's worked out so far is is that without Apple showing the guidance on here's what they think their HomeKit app looks like, everyone else is left to discover what the interface should be. Which is stupid. Except that there are some bright spots out there. Yeah. There are some really good ones. Lots of people do lots of stuff. Sorry, my it's water bottle. Popping champagne saying. there? <laughs> my water bottle expanded suddenly. Lots of people do lots of stuff better than Apple does it, right? So I have no problem with the fact that the HomeKit app, the Apple Home app may one day be the worst option for interfacing with HomeKit. But there should be some option. If I'm Neil and I have a set of Hue lights and I want to group them into a scene so I can control them with Siri... I shouldn't have to go download another $15 app, right? Well, that's because, because my, Philips should my, have done their job. My and, mom And by the way, all of these that. other HomeKit apps are free. So the $15 thing is the outlier. But free or $15 or whatever, I shouldn't have to do that. If I'm, if I'm my, I look at this with my mom, right? It should my, have been my done parents properly would in love Hue, to do right? You bought Hue bulbs, you should use no. the Hue app is the right way of doing this. And no, if Philips fell over... No, because they're doing problem. because they're doing made for HomeKit or whatever. So you put a little badge on your on your box made for HomeKit, right? right? Apple should have taken control of that from Go. If I'm going to the store, I'm looking for if my not me. If my parents are going to the store, they're looking for made for HomeKit, right? right. And they're going to buy it and they're going to bring it home and they're going to say, "Why can't I control this with Siri?" Because uh, I have to because because the, the person who made it with no, not if they. Um, not if they can't group it into a scene with the Philips Hue app. You know right, that's saying? because Philips fell over. Yeah, I, I understand that. But my, what I'm saying is Apple is dependent on Philips and everyone else not Correct. falling over for the success of this thing, which is, I think... A right, idea. and every what other HomeKit product that I have has not fallen over badly like that. Because they're from Philips, because they're from the, Insteon. The who has well, been doing no, this I've got Elgato, and they're the old TV people, and they're doing yeah. it right. Right, people I, that made a freaking TV tuner ten years ago are able to do this. Philips I was just about to say, here. I remember having that Elgato TV t- or TV tuner. Uh huh. Elgato ITV. There you go. Anyway, moving on to something actually not boring. <laughs> on that note, let's talk about email clients. So we put out a uh, a poll asking our readers to choose their favorite email client on the Mac. Neil, what what did they choose? Uh, the top choice was Airmail. Good. Uh, oh. The number two choice was Microsoft Outlook. Oh God, lol. And and did we include OS X's built-in mail client with this? No. Um, the a- any reason why not? Well, because we've done a couple of these polls, and everybody just votes for the Apple app, and everybody knows the Apple app. So what's the point, right? Okay. Nor did we include Thunderbird, which f- for obvious reasons. But <laughs> uh, although Eudora is in there, so there you go. Blast from the past. You'd, I didn't notice Eudora. Eudora doesn't even exist anymore. Eudora got <laughs> rolled into Thunderbird, basically. <laughs> it received votes, so. Also, wow. one that wasn't in there is Mailplane, which is my favorite Apple mail client, if you're a Gmail or Google Apps user. Right. Mailplane is more or less kind of a shell around Gmail. Is that right? It's, it's That's exactly what it is. There's no more or less about it. It's a shell around Gmail, but it's a very useful shell. Uh, it enables uh, native keyboard shortcuts. Um, it enables native mail to links, which is a big thing if you don't use Chrome as your primary browser. So you hit a mail to link in Safari or whatever, and it'll handle it just like it, a normal mail client would. 
uh, it gives you notifications and uh, menu bar badge for unread messages and stuff. Um, and importantly, if you are one of the gazillions of people who have multiple Gmail accounts or multiple Google Apps accounts, uh, you can run them all simultaneously side by side in MailPlane. Well, for for those that were uh, complaining that Apple Mail was not included, we did polls before and we asked readers for their favorite news reading app and we asked them for their favorite note taking app. And in both cases, Apple News and Apple Notes won. That's great for Apple. Um, and it's also great for people buying iPhones and stuff that already have it installed. But the purpose of the poll is to kind of allow our readers to discover stuff that they may not have heard of um, and to kind of try, try out some other stuff. So for the purposes of this poll, Apple Mail was not included because we didn't want to just have another story where it was, hey, everybody really likes Apple Mail. Okay, we know that. So let's try some other options. Good job. So ironically, another question. I, sorry, before you ask another question, ironically, this may have been the one poll Apple Mail wouldn't have, or the Apple app wouldn't have won because app, people hate Apple Mail. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's always getting patched in every update. There's always yeah, something people funny. despise Apple Mail. So, have we run the same poll on iOS? Have we asked people about mail clients on iOS and what no. they prefer? We should do that. It's going to be Apple Mail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surprisingly, where I hate Outlook on the desktop, Outlook on iOS is quite good. Because it's just a Compli. Well, there you go. I uh, a Compli with a name. Quite good. I was a Mailbox user, um, and then it just was getting less and less support. Buy Mailbox. And as as of the end of this month, will no longer function. So I tested out a few, and the one that I settled on for iOS is, and I shouldn't say settled on, I actually really enjoy it, uh, Spark by Riedel. Um, and Spark, the the PDF people. Yes. And their mail, R E A D D L E something like that. Correct. Yep. Yeah. It's called spark and, uh, it replicates a lot of the functionality of, uh, mailbox, but unlike mailbox, which sat neglected for a long time, uh, spark is readily updated and uh, makes new features available. For example, it has full 3d touch support inside of the app and on the app icon, which is great. Um, customizable swipes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so if you're into that whole Mailbox Zero con- uh, concept that uh, Mailbox introduced, you can even enable it so that it shows you the total number of emails that you still have not archived. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Spark. I wonder how many people do what I do, which is actually use two different mail clients. Uh, my I do that as well. Email, my yeah. personal email goes to the regular iOS mail app, but everything else is Outlook. And before or my business email, I guess, is everything else. It's Outlook. And before that, it was a company. My uh, work email goes to uh, a Google account. So I just use the official Gmail app for it. And I don't want to be bombarded with work email when I'm not working. So I have all notifications and background stuff turned off for Gmail. So it gives me the ability to check into my work email when I want, but not be bothered with it all the time. And then I have IFTTT um, notifications set up for specific senders to send me alerts. And I have those go through an app called Pushover. Uh, which tells me, hey, so-and-so sent you an email, so then I can open my work email and check it when I have to. There is another app um, for doing consumer push notifications, like Push. There, there were a couple. There were yeah. a couple from Push.io or something. Boxcar yeah. was one. Boxcar. Yeah. Whatever um, happens to all those? They weren't needed. Yeah, I, I still use Pushover a lot. Um, I have it set IFTTT up for- and the IFTTT app will do that stuff for you, though. 
you don't really need to use pushover. Is it really, are we really calling it IFTTT? We're not calling it if this and that anymore? I don't whatever. Know. They have a do I'm app and a whatever. Oh, jeez. And, um, Ift. I, oh, the other one was Growl. I actually still use Growl on my Mac. Do you really? Oh, it, wow. I forgot all about Growl. So you can use Growl for uh, certain customizations. Like I can say if my computer is idle for more than 30 seconds, I want this notification to be pushed to my phone, which works great. If I step away from the computer for a minute and, you know, I'm in the mm, kitchen that's making good. a sandwich or something, I want to know. Uh, that's what I use it for. Uh, that's that's actually really cool. I'll have to check that out. All right. I want to talk cars. We've we've been talking about the the Apple electric car and the rumors around it for a while. And we, we, Elon has sort of had Elon Musk has sort of had a back and forth about Apple saying they're, you know, all of the people that uh, have gone to Apple from Tesla have been people that weren't really good enough to work at Tesla anyway, things like that. So Mikey wrote a story about an interview that Elon gave where he said it's obvious Apple's working on an electric car. It's an open secret, although he doesn't foresee it threatening Tesla sales, of course. Um, what do you think about this? I mean, I think he's just stirring the pot. You know, his, his, uh, one of the comments from the interview was, it's pretty hard to hide something if you hire over a thousand engineers to do it. And, and yeah, he'd commented before about how they were the engineers who didn't make it at Tesla. Do we think that this is, this is going to happen anytime soon? Do we think that no. he's worried about it? Is he just trying to... to okay. What, what okay. do you say, Shane? Okay. Let's just be rational for a no. moment. There will never be an Apple car. I'm never going to go down the street to the Apple garage and because you won't have, be able to buy it at the Apple garage, right? You'll be able to look at it at the Apple garage, but you'll have to buy it online um, because the car dealers are in, insanely powerful. So I'm never going to be able to go down to the Apple garage, look at an Apple car, walk over to the iMac on the wall and buy an Apple car on apple.com, which will then be delivered to my house, probably on a gilded tow truck. <laughs> Flatbed. Yes, like that Amazon promo that I did where they shipped someone like a Toyota Echo with a giant box. Anyway, there I am fully on the train. Why, why is Apple that never going to happen? Because it's dumb. First of all, automobiles are a low margin business. Second of all, it requires a massive investment in R&D. And third, there's not a ton that Apple can do to differentiate themselves from anyone else. They can't say, oh, we're going to win on build quality. They're not going to beat BMW and Mercedes and Rolls and Land Rover at building a better car, especially not if they're going to do it as a contract manufacturing thing like they do everything else. They're not going to build their own car factory like Tesla. Just, and by the way, if you've never sat in a Tesla, it's an extraordinarily disappointing experience for a car that costs $100,000. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Anyway, I've taken on. the test drive. Yeah, and the interior is not a hundred thousand dollar interior. It's a uh, it's, it's a, a Ford F one fifty interior. I hate it's, it's the, slightly better than a I Ford hate the touchscreen interface in there. Sorry, give me give me physical knobs yeah, any day, please. Yeah, I totally agree. But anyway, so I'm fully on board with the fact that Apple may have hired a thousand engineers who have a lot of experience in automotive technology. So I'm fully on board that they may have hired a ton of them that used to work at Tesla. I'm also fully on board with the fact that not a damn one of them is working on making a car. There's a lot of stuff that goes into making a car that goes into making everything Apple makes. There's metallurgy, there's battery technology, there's electronic integration, which we see with CarPlay. They may well eventually come out with like a, a computer, a, a car OS, right? That may well happen. I don't think it's the smartest thing, but I'm not running Apple, Tim. So, so what you're but they're not going to make a damn car. They are partnering with car manufacturers and they're going to provide 
the Apple technology the same way that they're providing CarPlay to the entertainment part of it right now. I think if there is a large-scale Apple move into cars, it's going to be that. It's not going to be an Apple car. But I also believe that a lot of the people that they're hiring just happen to be from the automotive field because that's what you do, right? Hmm. Like, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jean-Claude Bivet, the CEO of uh, Swatch. Um, or not Swatch. Uh, uh, no, no, he's Tag Heuer. Uh, Tag Heuer, yeah. yeah. Uh, he said that Apple kept trying to poach um, employees from him, specifically those who worked in metallurgy right before the watch came out. And that was evidence that they were doing a watch, which is true, but it's evidence that they wanted people who were expert at doing this particular thing, which I think is exactly what's happening with hiring a bunch of automotive engineers. It just so happens that it's getting a lot of, and by the way, we ran a story, I don't know, six months ago or something that uh, many of, they've been doing this for a while. A lot of the employees that are now at Apple who used to be at a car manufacturer or for that matter, a car parts supplier like Delphi uh, have been there for years right? Three, four years. And the stories that came out say that Tim Cook only gave approval for Project Titan, what, in like October or something? So I think that it just so happens that there's a lot of rumors going around about a car and they're hiring a lot of people, but they've been doing it for a long time and it's not really changing anything other than the car OS part, obviously. It just happens to be where they find people who have the skills they want. And we did have that story a few months ago about how they were talking with BMW around the uh, the three uh, the electric platform for the small car. So so it's yeah. entirely possible that they were going to... If they're going to build a car around a BMW electric, I hope they'd build it around the i8, not the i3. Well, they could make the i3 better. I mean, you don't have to use the body, you just have to use the platform. I'm not going to lie. I would actually, if I were going to buy a car today... Where I live, I would buy an i3. No problem. No question. Yeah. It's a practical car, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's ugly as sin, but it's practical. I actually don't think it's that ugly. I, I don't think the i8... Neil thinks the i8 is hideous. Neil's but wrong. I actually quite like it. Neil's never been more wrong in his life. The i3 is ugly as sin from the side. Uh, a little bit, yeah. The, the windows I mean, are all wrong. But it's the, the, the design language is nice. I like it. I like my car as boxy and as unaerodynamic as possible. So you're going to get one of the... Uh, a 1998 Scion XB will arrive at your door. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> up, until I, up until I sold it a, a month ago, I had a 2006 uh, Mustang convertible. And I bought those. Bought that that car. boxy at all. It's pretty boxy. Are you kidding me? It, lo- it looks yeah, like that was, six? that was the first year of the retro. Yeah, right? that was the retro where they yeah. made it look like the bullet Mustang. Yeah, it's real boxy. That's why I liked it. The squared off edges and stuff. None of that mm-hmm. round sleekness. Yeah. Going back My ex girlfriend has like a 2003 Corolla. You could have if you want. <laughs> it's a little I, I too rounded. Like, I like uh, I like kind of classic muscle car looks. So a lot of these, you know, like the the i three. Oh, just, you're you're a fan of the Dodge, aren't you? Uh, the Challenger. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool looking car. I like that one. My my problem with those cars, this is neither here nor there on this podcast, but my problem with those cars is they don't execute them very well. Right. Like they they look nice compared but to the, the, car the original itself, versions. They're quite good. No, they, yeah. Well, 
obviously, <laughs> compared to a car from 1960. The car they now know it's suspension means. It's better. Yeah. But they just, the, the car itself looks really nice, you know? But then when you get up, it's just like the damn Tesla. When you get the up, the dashboard close, is horrific. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, the Camaro dashboard is terrible. Miles, well, miles and miles of plastic. The and plastic. You tap on it, it's Ugh, The plastic is so bad. The, the yeah, only, in the Mustang, it's like they try to make it look like it's chrome in there, but it's all just uh, shiny plastic. Yeah. Just paint. Oh, man. It's Somewhere terrible. around 2010 ish, Ford figured this out, right? I, I think Jay Mays like fell out of his mansion one day and said, you know what? We can actually sell more cars if we make people want to get in them. And <laughs> from what then concept. on. Um, well, that was after doing the GT40, right? The, well, G- yeah, the Ford yeah. GT. The, the GT40 was so bad too. I mean, unre- Jeremy Clarkson famously bought a GT40 well, and they it broke down it, like seven times. They and had to build it. that thing within nine months. There, there was no room for anything to go wrong or get fixed. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so the development they, schedule they, is ridiculous. Ford got the clue and their interiors. I haven't obviously sat in one for a while, but their interiors um, until up until I left the States had been looking pretty good. So I don't know. And the F-150 is still selling what 30,000 a minute. Or yeah. Something? Biggest selling truck ever. Yes. Yeah. So they must be doing something right. So we've talked about the big things. Let's talk about the very small things. There's a four inch handset rumor again. What a transition. from f-150s to four inch mobile phones there you go neil i'm I'm calling on you for this one because we know that you like the small phone i do uh so this story came out on monday and um was immediately dismissed by uh some but i think it has a little bit of credibility to it makes some sense to me um ming chi kuo had said before that the new four inch iphone was gonna have an a9 processor which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because presumably it would be priced around the iphone 6 which has an a8 um it just it didn't it didn't have uh, uh something wasn't aligning there for me so there's a new report that came out this week that said uh the four inch iphone will actually have an a8 processor not an a9 and that seems to make some sense to me um, and the other part of it was that uh, the phone will be named the iPhone 5E for an enhanced version of the 5S rather than the 6C. Because the rumor is that the phone is going to come in like two or three colors. So the C moniker doesn't really make a lot of sense. And and one of the things that I looked at this rumor and thought nice is that it's going to have support for Apple Pay. It's going to have voice over LTE. And um, those are things that I, I really kind of insist on in the phone anymore because you know the having the fingerprint sensor work having apple pay is is one of those things that like your wife noticed really matter right i think that this rumor makes a lot of sense i could see this being take the components from an iphone 6 cram them into a smaller phone sell it for about the same price as the 6 i think that'd be a, a, a big seller and it's a nice just a nice differentiator because you don't have the 6 competing with the 6s and uh right having people wonder what the confusion is there. Yeah. I mean, the A9 processor would be great. I would be really ecstatic if they did that in a four inch phone, but I, I just don't see them doing that, especially if they're trying to hit a lower price point or something. It just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. They're, they want to keep their flagship phones, their flagship phones. So here's a question. One, why are they naming every phone with a letter as though they're making BMWs? <laughs> Two, does the uh, the fact that they if if this does happen if this does exist does the fact that they are coming out with a new uh, four inch phone that would theoretically be uh, at a lower price point mean that they have decided the time is now 
to move their range down market? At the conventional wisdom is that the 6S is not selling as well at launch as they had hoped. Um, and this is a way for them to kind of inject some new life into the mid-product cycle. So um, there were some expectations that this 4-inch phone might launch alongside the 6S. Apple decided not to do that. So it's possible that they've had a lot of the development of this product just kind of sitting and waiting for the right time, and they were just trying to strategically decide when to release it. Um, so that's a lot of the speculation out there, but until we actually see the thing, it'll be hard to make any definitive decisions about that. The success isn't selling because there's no, uh, there's, there's there, for most people, like people who aren't any of the three of us, there's no flagship feature that makes me say, I have to have that. I should people who, I don't have one. Right. Okay. Well then you don't count. So either me or Neil there's for, for like my parents, right. Other than it just being the new iPhone and we are going to go get a new iPhone anyway, regardless of whether it was the 6 or the 6S or the mm-hmm. 26. Um, there's nothing that makes me 5 or 6. There's nothing that makes me go, oh yeah, I need that. For me, there is, right? I like mm-hmm. 3D Touch very, very much. But for normal people, there's just nothing. I would quite like cares. to double the RAM. I could go for that. Well, it's two, yeah, 2 gigs in the 6S. Yeah, but I'm, there's no huge marketing thing, right? Like you... As a as a normal person, right? You the marketing thing is it's the new phone. You know what yeah. I bet the w- biggest. You, like you know what I bet the biggest selling point of the success is mm. selfie flash. <sighs> See, I I thought that actually, but I was out to dinner not long ago with some friends who are all like you know huge selfie people, like they have uh, selfie sticks and everything. Oh, so I only associate with them very rarely. <laughs> um, and uh, I pulled out my phone to take a picture because I was the only one who had a success. And I, they knew about the live photos and stuff, but none of them had any idea that there was a selfie flash. And they didn't care? I mean, they were like, oh, that's kind of cool, I guess. But yeah, no, nobody gave a damn. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I would, I would have thought that that'd be one of those things where people go, what can it do? And then you show them the selfie flash and they'd be way more excited about that than 3D touch. Yeah, I really, I, I, I just imagine like the product development meeting at Apple for the 6S was like, all right, we've got fingerprint sensors we've got a four inch phone we've got a or uh, we got a four inch phone a five inch phone a five and a half inch phone we've got really fast processors we've doubled the ram we've got 128 gigs of storage we have the best mobile camera um i got nothing yeah and somebody why, why was are like people buying it again <laughs> and somebody was like selfie flash and johnny, just, just turn the screen on <laughs> and johnny i goes yes but you that. can't add another hole in the front. So Godspeed. <laughs> They've never been afraid to cannibalize their own sales. So, you know, they'd much rather them cannibalizing themselves than anyone else. So going ahead and introducing that smaller phone is is not anything too crazy. And there's a few yeah, reports but, out there saying that while the 6S may be disappointing, the 6 at a lower price and the 6 Plus is actually doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure because people, they care about that. That's a big seller, right? Is the jump in screen size. Yeah. If you're coming, I know a lot of people who still use fives and five S's. So if you're coming from that and now is your upgrade cycle, um, that's, this is what I mean by there's no compelling reason to go for the success. Because if now is your upgrade cycle from a five or a five S, then you're going to go for what's essentially a comparable device um, because you don't care about any of this stuff on the success. So I did something interesting with my phone last week uh, that I've been kind of experimenting with. I went into the settings and I used the dynamic font option and I just shrunk the font down to the smallest possible size. And I've been using it like that for did. about a week. 
And uh, I, I mean, because I realized it wasn't difficult for me to read the smaller font. And if I shrink it down, then I can fit more content on the page. The main downside to shrinking it is that not all apps support dynamic fonts. So different apps appear like, you know, like the font is just much bigger. But I, I've generally been pretty happy with it. I think I'm going to stick with it. Interesting. And if you wanted to tell our listeners how to do that, where would they go? Uh, you go into settings uh, and then display. Um, and there is an option in there for uh, adjusting the font size. You just There's a slider, and it just notes that uh, certain apps don't support dynamic fonts, so it won't work everywhere. And there's also an option, if you're having a hard time reading it, you can make all the text bold as well. This works in every iOS device, by the way, not just yes, the phone. correct. I think it's been there since iOS 2 or somewhere. Yeah, but, 6, but a lot of popular apps like thing. Facebook and stuff just ignore the custom yeah. font sizes so but uh it's great like uh, if you're in messages um you can read more text uh higher up while you're typing because it's shrunk down um when you're in the main menu of messages you can see more conversations like three or four more conversations on there because everything's just smaller so you can use this to gauge which developers build their apps the way apple wants them to build them <laughs> it's true yes if it works then they are using auto layout and dynamic text. If it doesn't work like Facebook, then they're building it in JavaScript and they suck. Well, this last story is one that affects Neil and I directly, and it's Apple is keeping an eye on the possible sale of Time Warner. So, you know, I use Time Warner as my service, and I know, Neil, you do too. Um, what's, what's going on here? What would Apple be interested in Time Warner for, or why would they be watching this sale? The suggestion is that Apple might be interested in acquiring some of Time Warner's assets if they were to be split up and sold, specifically content uh, like HBO or something like that. I don't buy it. Okay. But the notion is that Apple would go ahead and turn that into a streaming service for Apple TV, something like that? Yeah, that they could buy the technology behind it, stuff like that. But none of it really makes any sense. I mean, HBO is using MLB Advanced Media, so... um, it's not like there's any. Oh yeah! It's not like there's any technology there that uh, would really be beneficial to Apple uh, that I know of. Uh, and in terms of the content itself, Apple's not interested in getting into the content game. They never show. They've never shown any interest in getting into the content game. So if they were to acquire for uh, uh, you know HBO and, and then their shows and their network and stuff like that, that would be a huge change in Apple's business. Um, so the, the question the question mark here is or not it's not the question mark. I don't know what the phrase I'm trying to use is, but <laughs> the the one compelling argument for Apple buying HBO is to keep it out of Amazon or Google's hands. Because just like we were talking about earlier with Taylor Swift and Spotify, people are gonna go where the stuff they want to watch is. We touched on this in a podcast like four months ago where we said that we're getting to the point where I have to have five different streaming services to get everything that I want, right? Right. When when all of your technical offerings are the same, content is king. And if Amazon, for example, buys HBO and all of a sudden Game of Thrones is a, for example, is a um, uh, Amazon Prime exclusive, then that's one less reason to buy an Apple TV and one more reason to buy a Fire TV and subscribe to Prime. That's that's where I could see. There's absolutely value, I think, if Time Warner decided to split itself apart. There's absolutely value in Apple bidding for HBO for that reason and for other content uh, creators just to ensure that the flow of content remains constant, even if they keep licensing it, right? Just to ensure that they have access to it. 
But that said, I don't think it'll happen because I don't think Time Warner is going to split itself up. Yeah, I don't see it happening. Right. So we're we're waiting to see who gets who gets to buy them, but it's it's no, probably not going to be Apple. We think. No. All right. I would I would have liked Apple to have bought Time Warner in like 2004 because then they would have just sold the Braves outright <laughs> rather than <laughs> doing some absurd uh, stock transfer. Apple could not have afforded company. Time Warner in 2004. I'm not saying they could have. I'm just saying that if they're going to buy Time Warner, I would like them to get a time machine and go back and do it then. So we can have like Mark Cuban owning the Braves and not John Malone. That's all I'm saying. All right. On that note, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor Marks. With us has been Shane Cole. Shane, where do people find you on the internet? Uh, On the internet, you can find me at Apple Insider. In real life, you can't find me. Neil, where do people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at this is Neil and you can read my stuff on Apple Insider. All right. I'm at Vmarks on Twitter. And if Apple invents a time machine and goes back and buys the Braves only to keep them out of John Malone's hands, we'll tell you all about it next week or last week on the Apple Insider podcast. <laughs>